Looks like the kids already took off. Here they go. There goes the rest of them. I was asked to make an announcement later on uh, at the benediction time, but knowing me, I will surely forget, so I'm going to say it right now. <laughs> Strike while the iron is hot, right? And the, the announcement is next Sunday. It's the last Sunday of October. We, we're going to go ahead and have the potluck because we moved the dinner back. And because it's probably going to be our last potluck of the year. November, you've got Thanksgiving. December, it winds up on the 31st, New Year's Eve. So this is it. We enjoy those gatherings together. So we're going to go ahead and uh, bring that one back into play. So I did it. <laughs> Okay, this morning, we're going to look at the five solas of the resurrection. And you, you might be thinking, well, what in the world kind of message is that? Well, I guess you're just going to have to wait and see. Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm doing this, October 31st, 2023, and that's this year for those that aren't fully awake yet. Okay. October 31st, 2023 is the 506th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Okay, At that point in time, his desire was to foster discussion concerning the practice of the Roman church, among other things, selling indulgences, salvation by works. Okay, A practice uh, where one could... Uh, by time out of purgatory, a false doctrine, for themselves or others. All right, so in, this, in that light, then we're going to look at the five solas, and um, I'd like to introduce the topic by reading to you um, <clears throat> something written by R.C. Sproul not too many years ago when he composed several hymns for the Christian church. And it's called, the, the, the title of that album is called Glory to the Holy One. And I know Barbara and I have a copy of that, and a couple of you do too. If you, like, uh, if you like good music with orchestra and choir, you'll like this. You know, if you like, you know, rock and roll and the sound of pounding on the side of a dumpster, you won't like it. <laughs> okay, now, but this is actually the very first, the very first song, if you will, in that album is a recitation that R.C. Spohl wrote and actually gave. And I'd like to give, it just takes a few minutes, I'd like to give that recitation to you now by what, as a way of introducing our topic this, this morning. And it goes like this. One hammer in the hand of an obscure Augustinian monk changed the world forever. Martin Luther posted his 95 thesis on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, calling his fe fellow professors to examine issues of supreme theological importance. Thus began the Reformation, through which the light of God's word was brought out of the darkness to shine with clarity once more. One of the central cries of the Protestant Reformation was this, the just shall live by faith. Luther's development of the doctrine of justification by faith alone recovered the gospel that had been hidden during the Middle Ages. 
And at the center of the gospel is the affirmation that the righteous by which we are declared just before a holy God is not our own. It's a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that Luther said is extra nos, apart from us. Namely, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That righteousness that, that's imputed or accounted for all who put their trust in him. Because of that affirmation, Luther was involved in serious controversies. Controversies that culminated in his being brought to trial before the princes of the church and even before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, Charles V. And there at the Diet of Worms, he was summoned in Germany. Luther was called upon to recant his views. He answered his interlocutors by saying, Revoco? You want me to say Revoco, that I recant? I will not recant unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason. I cannot recant for my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And then R.C. goes on to say, In every generation, the gospel must be published anew with the same boldness and the same clarity and the same urgency that came forth in the 16th century Reformation. The church has always done this, both in the spoken word and in song, producing hymns that tell us of the great salvation that has been wrought by God alone through Christ alone, such as the music we heard here this morning. Let's open a word of prayer. Our Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for that word. We thank you, Lord, that we are a church that believes and teaches that word. And again, Lord, we, we pray that each and every one of us here would grow in your grace for having been here this morning. And again, Lord, we pray that you are glorified by all that we do here. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the attack on the gospel didn't start in Luther's day. Um, matter of fact, the attack on the gospel is as old as the gospel itself. Um, Matter of fact, Jesus warned of false teachers. Matthew 7, I'm going to go through a lot of passages of scripture this morning. And uh, those of you that are very nimble of fingers and wrist, if you don't keep up, that's okay. I'm going to read them and I'm going to give you the passage. You can write them down. And I'm going to read them slow enough that we can digest them because they're very important. Now, G Matthew 7, 13 and 15, which is the, in the Sermon on the Mount at the end, he said... Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then he goes on to add this warning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Why did our Lord warn us of that? Hey, it's because the false prophets are going to point you to the broad way, the, the easy way, not the narrow way. The narrow way is the gospel. The narrow way is what the reformers were preaching. Faith alone, Christ alone, by grace alone. See, that is what we're going to look at this morning. So, and then again, throughout the history of the church, false teachers were, were there, were, there were false teachers, false doctrines, and they, they, that would plague the church at every opportunity. You know, one of, the, one of the first false teachings after the church began, we, we see it in Acts 15. 
Remember the Judaizers would come in and they were coming in and says, unless one is circumcised according to Moses, you cannot be saved. Remember that, Acts 15? And then from the very beginning, it's been a steady stream of false teachers and false gospels. They just kept continuing, continuing, and continuing. I'd like to go ahead and just give you a couple of examples right from, from the New Testament itself. And I'm going to give you some dates. And these are the approximate dates given for the writings of, of several of the, of the epistles. And again, you're, you're, you have study Bibles. You, your dates might vary a year or two, but they're going to be close to this. For example, 4950 A.D., Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul writes to them, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. I mean, it, 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 can, it can plague believers if we're not well read in our book, which is really not another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached you, he is to be accursed. That's strong language. Strong language. In other words, you're fit for slaughter in the eternal sense. Anathema. No. And just in case, I can't believe Paul said it. Well, the next verse. And, and we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. Plain and simple. And then we move through history. 55 to 56. 2 Corinthians 11. Three and four. But I'm afraid that as serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear it beautifully. In other words, this this Stuff comes in there, this false opinion, and you're just oh, beautifully, you just, oh yeah, bring it in, let's hear it. Let's, no. Again, grounded. We must be grounded. We move on through church history, 67, 68 AD, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then maybe a matter of even months later, I would say probably no more than a year, 68, 69 AD, we have the little book of Jude, and Jude verses 3 and 4 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all. One faith. Remember? Remember in Romans? One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one one, one. There's not multiple Christ. There's not multiple faiths. There's only one gospel, one Savior, one Messiah. And these were beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny the only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And that is so typical of these false arguments. And they always, 
are characterized by licentiousness because they want to make it easy. They don't want the, you know, like the rules and regulations. They want to be able to, yeah, you know, it's, it's like that, <clears throat> it's like Joel Osteen preaches, hey, you know, have your best life now. And I love MacArthur's response to that. If you're having your best life now, that means you're going to hell, okay? Because it doesn't get better when you pass. It, this, if this is the best you're ever going to get, you're, on, you're going to the wrong place. And that's just a matter of fact. And then one more, we've got one more writer, John, in 90 to 95 AD, somewhere in there, in 1 John, John writes in 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. <clears throat> Again, the lesson from the Bible is clear, and it must be taken seriously, and I'll tell you how seriously it is, I, I added one more, going back, I want to go to the book of Acts, and I want to read a portion of where Paul was giving his final regards to the Ephesian elders, and this is part of what he said, Acts 20, verses 28 to 32. Be on guard for yourselves. Again, for yourselves. Elders, it starts with you. Be on guard for yourselves. If you fall, you can take people with you. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. See that added emphasis there? Which he purchased with his own blood. This isn't just a group of random willy-nilly people. These are people our Lord died for. It's a serious, serious business. I know, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And here's the, the scary part. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Even from among the eldership, you can have these people coming. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you, each one with tears. Now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, and not only that, and we read in the, the songs too, that along with false teachings and false prophets, sooner or later, persecutions are going to come with it. Never fails. Matter of fact, the church in the United States is probably, that, that period of time, we here are probably, we're an anomaly. This is not normal for the church to go how many hundreds of years without any real persecution? Oh yeah, someone might call you a name, but I mean, I mean persecution, like imprisonment and dying, being killed for the faith, like history, just one big stream. You go through the apostles all through. And Jesus warned Matthew 10, 16 to 23, and I've got that written down here to, for the sake of time. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. To, so he be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Yes, 
we don't have time to develop this too much. Maybe one day we should go back there for this. But just briefly, now he was speaking to the 12 that he was going to send out right then and there. And you notice as you read this, this admonition given to them and very quickly goes beyond that day, that particular single sending. It's going, it's going beyond to when they eventually do go out, like we read about in the book of Acts, and even beyond them to our time. I mean, it's just like much of scripture, the, the, this kind of prophetic warnings, they're kind of like a telescope that opens up. You know, the old-fashioned telescope, you, you, you start, it'll start here, and it'll just move ahead in time, and ahead in time, and ahead in time. It just, keep, kind of just keeps unfolding. And that's one of the, by the way, one of the keys to understanding a lot of these uh, tricky prophecies. But anyway, verse 17, but beware of men. They will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. See, that didn't happen to them when Christ was around. It did happen later on, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testament to them and to the Gentiles. Many of those apostles were, but when they, when they matter of fact, all of them were as far as we know, but when they, had, when they hand you over, do not worry about what you, are, what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death. And father his child, and children will rise up against his parents and cause them to be put to death. See how she's moving him beyond them. Children and parents, it just keeps going and going. This is a matter of fact for the church. And I tell you what, if we as Christians, if we dare go out there and preach the gospel, expect some kind of persecution, there will be flack. There will be blowback. <clears throat> so it's, that's enough for now. I mean, we... Early in the Christian church, I mean, just a little through the book of Acts, I've just highlighted a few places. I mean, in Acts chapter 5, the, the, all the, the apostles were taken in and they were flogged. That just means beaten. Five, chapter, five. Stephen was stoned to death. Chapter 7. Chapter 12, James, the brother of John. Remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee? Well, John was put to, James excuse me, was put to death with a sword. John was the author of 1 John and the gospel and, and the writer I should say. Now, and there again, these were just the beginnings. The persecution of God's people will continue until he returns. That's just a matter of fact. It's going to happen. Like I say, we in the U.S. have skated so far. We have skated. Um, we, I'll tell you, I don't know whether to be thankful for that or not. That may sound strange because persecution purifies the church. Until, anyway, until then, like Jesus said, and like, the, like Paul told the Ephesian elders, in the meantime, be alert, be alert, be alert. And Jude, remember Jude said, we earnestly contend for the faith. I mean, that word is a very strong word. Earnestly contend. That it, it's, the basic word to contend is um, agonizo, agonize, you know, agonize over it. But this one's kicked up. This is ep agonizo, which means really agonized. It's a battle out there. It is truly a battle. The reformers, like those before them, they knew this. And they were willing to lay down their lives because there are, some, there are many people preceding them that did just that. In, recent, in their recent history, men like Wycliffe and Huss and others burnt at the stake for their belief. They believe, 
And these men were so serious, they believed to lay down their life for the gospel because they were convinced the very gospel is what was at stake. They were, they were just out on a Sunday. They were just out trying to stir up trouble, believe me. These men were on a mission. And I, we don't have time, but I wish I could share so much of what God was doing in the lives of so many people in and around that time. I mean, he was raising people up all over the place. And anyway, the five solas are, and we'll go through them one at a time, Sola Scripturia, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, and Soli Deo Gloria. First one up, Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. Scripture alone is our infallible, inherent authority. And see, from the, from the perspective of the uh, Reformers, not church traditions, councils, popes, cardinals, bishops, Tom, Dick, or Harry. It was the word of God. You, you, you saw it in uh, uh, <clears throat> Luther's statement. Unless I'm convinced by the word of God, I'm not changing. I'm not recanting. I'm staying. I'm staying on the word of God. And I love what he said. He says, he says I cannot, under good conscience, do that. It is, he said it's something like it's neither right nor safe. I find that extremely interesting. It's not safe to go back on, and contrary to the word of God. So the foundational truth to the reformers and to us as well is the scripture, in, which is in fact the word of God. And where you got to start with that one, second, let's go to this one, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> We've all read this one before, um, heard messages on it or about it, with it. But this is a critical point. And again, all of these five solas, every one of them could very, not only be easily become a message, every one of these points could be a seminar. They are that big and they're that important. And there's that much scripture has to say about each and every one of them. It's one. And we're just going to get an overview because, again, like I say, October 31st, when the goons, ghouls, and goblins are running around, give a thought that 506 years ago, Martin Luther, a monk, a, an Augustinian monk, a Catholic, was nailing those stuff up. And you know, you know what happened to Martin Luther after a while? He started messing around in the Word of God so much he got saved. <laughs> but again, you just, you, you follow his life. It's a fascinating life fascinating life and these these men it's hard to believe that so many good men the lord raised up it's in such a short period of time second timothy 3 13 to 17 i'll start with 3 13 i'm going to pause there for a moment 3 13 says you know again paul writing to timothy again this is his second letter to timothy uh this was this is the very last letter paul wrote okay it's the very last letter, because remember, Paul was essentially on death row. He says, he, as a matter of fact, he says, uh, verse 6 of chapter 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He says, I'm out of here. It's just a matter of time. They're going to come get me, and that's it. So he's basically handing the baton off to uh, Timothy. Um, so he's saying, Timothy, 
She's reminding him of some very important truths that Timothy needs to lay hold of because he's going to have a big job ahead of him. In verse 13, he says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Interesting, verse 13. You know what the warning here? Evil men, impostors, and what are they going to do? Deceive. That's what evil men and impostors in this religious sense, that's what they do. They deceive. They deceive. Um, in Luther's days, the deceivers, the deceivers were the overwhelming majority. They were virtually the entire, if it was virt- the church for all practical purposes was the Roman Catholic church. And people like Luther were waking up to say, well, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. This isn't right. You know, and, and so they, he, was, he wrote that thesis and his old deal was he, was, he was wanting to foster discussion. He wanted debate. They're called reformers because they actually wanted to reform the church. They weren't out trying to set up another denomination or split the church. They were, their, their human personal desire was to reform the church. Okay, well, the church wasn't into reforming, the Catholic church, nor are they today. Now in our day, okay, they, the, so the majority in his day were obviously part of the deceivers. They were preaching false doctrines. And, well, let's face it, um, indulgences. That came out, I forget, was it Gregory the Great? I'm not sure. Anyway, whoever brought that out, you know, indulgence money, you pay your money, and they had the doctrine of purgatory, like, you know, if you don't take care of it here, and, and if Christ didn't, and which right now, you hear the big false doctrine, Christ didn't pay it all, that's the basis for that false teaching, that, that, that dog won't hunt. And then they're saying, well, you know, you, you pay money, and then the, the Pope will say, he'll pronounce like, you no, you no longer have that uh, payment ahead of you. You see what I mean? See how bad that is, how wrong that is? And you want to pay a little, little cash You're for the dear dead departed? You can buy them out of purgatory too. And, the guy says, and they just pronounce it. And it's done. Well, um, it, we know from scripture it doesn't work that way. And so they were uh, <clears throat> attacked for that, and as Sproul pointed out. Now, what, what, is the big, what is our great defense against this? Well, verses 14 through 17. It says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from a child you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that applies to ladies as well, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate there is a lot stronger term than we might think. Ah, he's just adequate. No, adequate here means you're, you're perfected. You're, you're in good shape. That's what the word, that's what, it, that's what that word, the, the Greek word behind this one actually means. And so all scripture is inspired. So the inspired by God, verse 16, uh, literally means it's theonostos, God breathed, or the breath of God. I'll tell you, and this is when we, read the word of God, like what was read to us earlier in Ephesians 1, what I'm reading to you here and what I've read so far, when that 
word is written and spoken, that's God speaking. That's not me. That's not Eli. That is God speaking. That is God speaking. And further, a further admonition to, and I add this one, to those who would preach, saying that, standing up here, because I take this very seriously. Chapter 4, verses 1, starting verse 1. And he goes on to say to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Again, when you, when you start throwing words like that in there and you start dropping names like God and Jesus, something serious is coming. Something serious is coming. And, and he not only just drops their name, but says, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom? What's the admonition? What's the charge? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Well, for the time will come when they will not. That's speaking of the church, by the way. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And I mean, you know, that people say, oh, you know, this is, you know, you preach the straight word of God. That's pretty hard stuff. I don't, you know, they go over here, that, this guy preaches a little easy gospel, a little easy believism, say the magic words and you're in, rah, 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 and it, you know, oh, it's okay if you do that, God will free you. You know what I mean? Just water down everything. No, the word is the word, and it means what it says. Now, how is all of this accomplished? The preaching, preaching it true, preaching it sound. Well, let's back up to chapter 2, verse 15. Again, because this whole conversation, this whole letter to Timothy is preparing him to take over. And these are the, these are the last reminders that Paul is giving to Timothy. And so 2, for, 2 15, he's saying, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Handing accurately the word of truth. Some, I remember, the, I think it was the King James that said, rightly dividing. It means you cut it straight. You cut it straight. In other words, you interpret it by what it says. Not what you want it to say, not what you wish it was saying, but you interpret it by what it is actually saying. That's what, that's what it means to rightly divide. Handle accurately the word of God. All three of those, quite frankly, are good translations and it gets the meaning that, you know, when it comes to the word of God, don't mess with it. Do not mess with it. Now, which takes us to our next point. Sola fide. Are they coming up? Sola fide. Salvation is by faith alone. This is a big, these, scripture, yes, because scripture was the foundation from where these um, <clears throat> reformers went. We saw that in Luther's statement. You know, unless you can convince me by the word, I'm not changing. I'm not recanting. And so, on that one, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Once again, this is one of those seminar type passages that we're going to have to get in about 10 minutes. <laughs> but Know where they are, knows where these things are, and understand that that the, these reformers were not these people. 
They knew, they, knew what they, were, they knew what they were preaching. They knew what they believed in. They knew what they wanted to do, wanted to accomplish. These were, these were truly men of God. Romans 3, 19 to 28. Let's start by... I'll start by getting to the right page. Okay. 319. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Verse 20, because by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now note, the word justify, justification, is a forensic or legal term, if you will, meaning, like think of a courtroom, declared, if you're justified, you're declared innocent, that is, not guilty, all right, and like that's all we can say that, but again, by the works of the law, no flesh will be saved, so those says, you know, you must be circumcised to be saved, no, no, by the works of the law, no flesh will be saved, move down now to verse 21, now apart <clears throat> from the law, the righteousness of God had been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, all right, okay, we can see the righteousness of God in the law, no question there. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's the big thing. The law was our taskmaster. It taught us we were sinners and what the law accomplished. It taught us we were sinners. It also taught us we couldn't keep the law. Only one man ever kept all the law, and that was the man Christ Jesus. That's it. Nobody else even came close. Verse 24, being justified as a gift, he, his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, that was to demonstrate his righteousness because, <clears throat> because in his forbearance of God, he, he passed over the sins previously committed. We'll stop right there for the moment. Now, <clears throat> you notice in here, and we're going we're to come back to a lot of these, but when you read these passages, when you have uh, sola fide, faith alone, uh, sola Christus, that faith is in Christ alone, sola gratia, you know, by, gr you know, by grace alone, okay? You're going to see all of these in, in most all these verses we look at. I'm just taking them one at a time to... You know, I'm not skipping one. I'm going to come back to some of these same verses when we get to these others just to point them out a little bit better. But, but just remember that <clears throat> that is why these were the cries of the reformers because they're all included in the gospel. And if you deny faith alone, you're denying the true gospel. If you deny in Christ alone, you're denying the gospel. If you deny the grace of God and start throwing works in the mix, you're denying the gospel. You see? And so that's why all these things were in there, and that's why the, the reformers just hammered on these issues over and over and over again. And they were consistent about it. Consistent about it. And, and we, we read through chapter 3, and um, I'll pick it back up again in verse 27, uh, well, 26, for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it's like 
<clears throat> R.C. Sproul pointed out, you know, the big cry of the uh, reformers of the just shall live by faith. This is where they got it. Romans, Galatians, this, these are, they camped on these books because they were, they were just so important. And in verse 27, where then is the boasting? That makes me think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You know, by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to boast about. We're going to get into that more too, but again, all three of these are there. Where is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by law of faith. <laughs> you, want, you, want the, you want the law? The law is faith. It's faith. Sola fide. Faith alone. By faith alone. No works. No, and they're all pointing at no works. Faith and grace especially. Those who work, no works, no works. It's all of faith. Verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And that's the bottom line. And he gives an example of Abraham. 4, 1 through 11, he talks about Abraham, and I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. What then shall we say that of Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. If you're working, and just think back, the wages of sin is what? Yeah, you want to work your way in? Death's at the end of that job. <laughs> it won't work. It won't wait. It won't happen. And just, just see that. You're not justified by that. And let's continue. Pick it up, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who's, who's justified the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteous, just like Abraham. Abraham did a work. His work and his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. God said, go. Abraham went. That was reckoned to him by righteousness. He believed. God says, you are going to, your Isaac is a son of promise. Abraham believed. That was reckoned to him as righteousness. God said it. Abraham believed. Righteousness was in him. That right, extra nos, right? From, a, from outside, as Luther said. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. We're and he's quoting Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Amen. Hallelujah. That applies to everybody who's ever perceived, honest to goodness, faith in the gospel of Christ. And then 9 and 10, the, the, the discussion continues. Is this the blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Now then, was it reckoned? How was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Hmm. Got to go back and think. Well, oh, we don't have to. The next sentence, they give us the answer. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. You go back to chapter, chapter 12 of Genesis. He said, get up, go. He, he left a pagan country. He was a pagan man. But it's amazing what the grace of God will do to a person. He got up, 
Didn't know where he was going, and he went. You can read about that. Hebrews talks about that some more. But, and uh, he went, and it was regnant righteousness. And when was Abraham circumcised? Later on, you go years later, when Abraham, as an adult, and all his people, and I cringe over this, were all circumcised as a sign of the covenant. Thank goodness for the New Testament. Anyway, you know, and there we were, circumcised. It's the circumcision, because they were, remember, Paul is reacting to that heresy of the day. You must be circumcised to be saved. You must obey the law of Moses to be saved. And Paul is writing, no, you don't. <laughs> it's by faith alone. By faith alone. We're justified by faith. In verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which while he had, while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. And in the, verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, namely Jews, but also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised and alluding to the Gentiles again circumcision or any kind of a work isn't how one becomes saved and we don't have time to turn go there but same thing if you look at Genesis 6 5 we know the situation there where the earth was terrible. And it says Moses, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor is grace. It was the same in the Old Testament. Salvation is by grace, which leads us to our next one. Sola gratia. Salvation by grace alone. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, part of our reading this morning. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself because we were so wonderful, right? No, it was according to the kind intention of his will. It's grace. Some might say, well, surely, you know, my choice was the determining factor, right? Well, the response to that would be no, not according to Paul. Uh, Romans 9, and I'll just go 15 to 16. You know, <clears throat> Romans 9, 15 to 16 says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy to whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. You want to be of... Uh, Sound mind and stature if you read through Romans 9. It's a rough one. You have to be, you have to open your mind to what scripture says to, to swallow that one. That's a rough passage. That goes again to the ego of man, something fierce. Right? Romans 9, it really does. But God's word is clear that salvation by God's grace alone. And I have a bunch of verses here that I'm not going to have time to read. I'll read a couple. And I'll just hand out the others. I'll just give you the other. Well, Acts, a great one I like is Acts 13, 48 and 49. When the Gentiles heard this, that is the message being preached, and glorifying the word of the Lord as many had been, <clears throat> and, <it's, clears throat> and glorifying of the Lord, and as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread about. Again, not by their works, by the grace of God. <clears throat> 
being Romans 3, 24, we saw this one already, being justified as a gift by his grace. Titus 3, 5 through 7, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Okay? By the washing and regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And if, again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, grace, then the faith comes, not of yourselves, is a gift of God. And just in case you didn't understand it the first time, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, he'll go on again. For we are his, work, speaking to believers, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God performed before that we should walk in them. And if you compare that verse 10 that I just read with 1 John 2, he says, here's where the good works come in, after salvation. And they're very important, but after salvation. John gives us in 1 John 2, 3 and 5, 3 to 5, he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There's your works. One says, I have come to know him and does not keep the commandments. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are of him. You want to know where true assurance of salvation comes from? It comes from true obedience to the word of God. That's where true assurance, that you know that you've been saved. Because you're living it. You're living the life that you have been, by the grace of God, created to live. Okay? And all that comes... And we look to the now, solus Christus, by grace alone, faith alone, and faith alone in Christ alone. Okay, faith alone in Christ alone. <clears throat> One of my favorite passages on this is again in chap in the book of Acts, uh, chapter four. Peter <clears throat> says, "Then Peter." filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Now, remember, they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin. These, remember, these people, Rome gave them the authority to go ahead and do even some capital punishment if they wanted to, stoning to death. Remember Stephen? Nobody got in trouble by Rome for doing that. They just let them, Rome just let them go ahead, just, just pay your taxes. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, and I mean, this is a great healing where a guy was sick from his mother's, from birth, came from his mother's womb. Okay, it made new, all of us all over town, and so it made quite a stir, so they were obviously called in. As to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all these people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone, again, speaking of Jesus, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name 
under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Period. End of discussion. If we had no other verse in scripture, this one should settle the argument right here and there. This one should settle the argument. But we have plenty more. For the sake of time, I'm only going to give you a couple. You know, the Gospel of John is majors on the deity of Christ. John 14, Jesus said to, the, to the, his disciples at that particular point in time, the 11, Judas had moved, uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you won't believe Peter, will you believe Jesus? I mean, it, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, face to face, the word was God. And we saw in our previous lessons in Sunday school that that passage means exactly what it says. Okay, in the beginning, in the beginning, what beginning? At the point of creation, the word, Jesus Christ, was already in existence. That shows his eternality, okay, which is one of those incommunicable attributes of God. Cannot be and is not shared with anybody. It's strictly a God attribute. Okay? Well, once born, all of mankind will live forever. But that's not eternality. We had a beginning. He didn't. That's the point. Okay. And then, of course, we must believe not only who he is, his person, being God, but that his substitutionary death on the cross. That is where the cross... The Roman church believed in the deity of Christ. They did, they believe, and they still do today. It just, but that part of the gospel gets all cluttered up with the works and the other nonsense. But it's a, it, his substitutionary death, and, and back to Romans 3 again, I've got it here on my sheet, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. That was in one of our hymns this morning. In Christ alone, the sacrifice accepted by God. The lyric went something like that. Okay? This was, that's why good, solid, biblical hymns are important for the church. That's too, that helps us learn. If, we, if we're singing truth, we learn truth. Okay? And as it sings out, others learn and hear truth. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the, the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be the just and the justifier of the one who, who has faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Not in himself. Not in his works. And again, a propitiation means the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross satisfied the just demands of a holy God. Thus, taking the wrath of God away from all who express true faith in Christ. That's why <clears throat> these doctrines are so important. And then certainly last but not least, the final solo, soli deo gloria. If we haven't picked it up by now, the theme of everything we've got, uh, all the scriptures that came from God, you know, faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. Another way to say it, by God alone. <laughs> okay, It's by God alone. And so therefore, 
to God be the glory, which is what this is. Only to God be the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. That was, remember, they spoke, there was Latin back then, was the, was the language of the day. And that's one of the reasons we read Ephesians today. Let's, re, let's return back to Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I could stop. I mean, that could be a message right there. So many people say, oh, 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 we need more. We need more. We got to do this. We need this. No, you don't even, if you, if you think that, you don't know what you got. <laughs> I mean, you've been blessed with everything in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're in Christ, you got everything you need. You got everything you need. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, for what reason? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In the beloved. The beloved would be Christ. In Christ. It all happened. All these things. By faith. By grace. In Christ. It's just, it's all here. This... By standing for these points, because these points were the ones that they argued and debated these points, because all these are major important points of the gospel itself. You can't throw one out. They all have to be there, or you don't have the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us. Oh, you mean we didn't do it? Oh, okay. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, he, he was, <clears throat> said the scripture says he was risen for our justification. I mean, that's like, that's the, that's the proof in the pudding right there. He rose from the dead. Boom, it's going to happen. Verse four, to obtain an inheritance, which is, in, and I love this, our inheritance, about our inheritance, what does it say? It's imperishable and undivided and will not fade away in case you're not sure what that means, he goes on to say, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, over and over again, he says, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Why? Because God's going to keep it for you. He's going to preserve it for you. And praise God for the doctrine of eternal security, right? And eternal security is a beautiful byproduct of that salvation he by his grace he gave to us and I think um, I'd like to close with this thought I'd like to close with Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21 Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 to 21 you can turn there if you want I've got it written down because I wasn't sure where we'd be in time wise on this We'd be all over the place if I did everything I had in my notes. But I want to close with Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. This is, now remember, this is, it starts off with Paul's prayer for the church. Great prayer. One we should emulate, I think. Verse 14 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth drives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with, with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we may ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In the light of that, the fact that our salvation is faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, what else can we all say except soli deo gloria, right? Let's close in prayer. Our Father God, we again come to you this morning, Lord, with much thanksgiving. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you that we can understand it if only we'd apply ourselves just a bit. And again, Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in our lives, your work of salvation by your grace. And Lord, may we all, may we all be able to say glory to you for having done it. And we pray this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.